You're listening to a podcast from Reality Honolulu. For more information or ways to get involved in the life of the church, visit realityhonolulu.com. Thanks for listening. be with you guys. Uh, I was on the mainland this last week, and last Sunday, if you were here, I wasn't here because I was teaching at um, Reality Carpinteria. So if you didn't know, Reality Honolulu is part of like the Reality family of churches. And so we're like maybe number nine or ten or something of uh, the family. Uh, about 15 years ago in a little beach town in California called Carpinteria, just south of Santa Barbara, is where it all started. And I got to go back and uh, teach there and be there and be a part of what God's doing, to share what God's been doing here and just to sew in. And um, they send a lot of love, praying for you guys, supporting. Um, they're so supportive in seeing this new work get off the ground. And so good to be back, though. Missed you. So glad to be home. It's fun to see family, fun to go there, but could not wait to get back. I was freezing, like freezing, like get up to teach in the church, and I had like goosebumps on my arm. By the end, I was like, you know, sweat through my shirt like I usually do, but very beginning, like in the building, I was really cold. It was. It was like very, very cold, so glad to be back. Um, but anyway, a uh, little tired too, so I might be out of it. We got back at like 10 last night with my son just screaming on the airplane. So two, there was turbulence. It was hard. So if I'm out of it, just be like, Riz, that didn't make sense. You can yell it out today. Maybe not, but um, you know, you get me. So if you've been here, you know we are in the book of Philippians. Uh, it's bittersweet. We're getting towards the end. I'm excited to announce where we're going in a couple weeks. I won't do it yet. I'll leave you on a cliffhanger. But um, Philippians chapter 4, verses 8 through 9 is our text this morning. We like to chew just a little bit every week and dig into what God has and uh, just pause and stop and soak in all that God's word has so I'll be reading out of the NIV. If you have a Bible, um, you can read it, share with someone next to you, or it'll be up on the screen. But Philippians chapter 4, <clears throat> verses 8 through 9. But for context's sake, let's read what we studied last week. It's Paul speaking. It says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. In our text this morning, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned, <coughs> excuse me, or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. <coughs> God, we thank you that you are the God of peace that you're a God, the God that brings peace and joy and hope in the midst of possibly circumstances where there feels like there is none. God, we thank you that you're the God that transforms as well, that you make us new creations and that you're able to, even with our thought life and our mind, you're able to transform us and renew us. And even we think differently when we come under the Lordship of Christ by the power of your spirit. And so, God, we, we pray that your word today would um, speak to us, 
We know it's living and active, and we want to hear from you, God. We don't want to hear from me. God, I pray that I would be your mouthpiece to communicate your truths to us, and we would soak it in. We would, like, grab hold of it, that you'd remind us during the week that you'd imprint it, so to speak, on on the tablet of our heart. So would you do that? Would you anoint our time? pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So what we believe, thank you, Terry Sharman. God bless you. You know Terry, right? Give it up, Terry. That was good. That was good, Terry. What we believe to be true about our theology of God, right, our theology, what we believe about God to be true is that we don't transform ourselves, but the Holy Spirit in us does the work. This is foundational like to our faith. In and of ourselves, we cannot do it. If we could, we wouldn't need a Savior in the first place. If we could save ourselves, we could change ourselves, if we could become righteous and holy and stand before God fully righteous, we wouldn't need Jesus. We wouldn't need the cross. We wouldn't need the gospel. And the work in us The transformative work that God does in us is by the power of the Holy Spirit. And more human power is not what Paul is pleading for here. What Paul is pleading for here is more of Christ in us. In turn, to make us think and act more like our God. So Paul isn't just saying like, hey, pull your bootstraps up. You need to try harder to do all this stuff, but actually depend more upon Jesus. Surrender. Trust him. Like give up. Give up your control. Surrender your selfishness. Surrender your thoughts and your mind to Christ to become more like him. Because the truth is, as God's very own people, right, if if you're a Christian, if you're an adopted son and daughter or the family of God, And we are called, it's throughout the entirety of Scripture, that we're called to look and be different from the rest of the world that does not know God, that is lost, that is blinded, that is is just living on their own accord, that we, under the Lordship of Christ, our life is no longer our own, it's hidden with Christ, and it should look differently, it should be different. It's because by design, We are all image bearers of a holy God. And we're to live into that as image bearers, to to bear the image of God in the midst of a perverse world. So there is supposed to be tension. There is supposed to be contrast. There's supposed to be differences that we can look at our lives and say, because of Christ, my life doesn't look like everyone else that doesn't know Christ. There's a difference, there's a change, there's, there's tangible fruit, there's results, there's lists you can make, whatever it is. And what the, the book of Romans would tell us, Romans 12, 1 and 2, this is Paul speaking once again in one of his letters. He says, therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. But look at this, verse 2. Don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We're going to camp out there quite a bit today. Be transformed by God for the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, 
that which is good and acceptable and perfect. There's a good chance that our thinking may be warped because of the life that we lived prior to Christ. I'm going to speak you know, to Christians for a second. It may be irrational, like our thoughts may be consumed with the things of the world. And, and most likely, our thought life is straight up selfish and sinful. If we do examine it, if we were to lay it all on the table and actually to take stock of our mind and our thoughts and what we think about and what we dwell on and what we meditate on and how we spend our thought life. For many of us, there's a good chance it's warped and irrational and messed up, me included. But that's why the book of Romans here would say that we need our minds to be renewed, literally cleansed, changed. We need a makeover, a transformation. Because here's the deal. Sin has messed with our wiring. The way, what controls our thoughts in our minds, how we think, how we make decisions, has all been based on us prior to Christ. Your, your, how, your thought process, how you make decisions, what's important to you, what you spend your time thinking about and meditating on and dwelling on, apart from Christ, it's like, Probably mostly about yourself. Like, what would it be anyone else? Oh, well, I'm kind of a nice person, so I'll think about them for a second. But then it's all about me. Right? Like, our, if we were really honest, we, we probably would all admit to, yeah, my, my, thought, my thought life's messed up. And it needs to be transformed and changed into what God wants of it. Because here's the deal. We aren't supposed to think the same way the world thinks. We're to like be different in our actions, but we're also supposed to be different with our thoughts. Like we're supposed to have a different mindset when we approach almost everything because we know who God is and he made the whole world and we know the design of the world and we know that we needed a savior and Jesus sent his, or God sent his son to save us and redeem us and we have this like different mindset and it, we should have a different worldview, right? Things should be, more important and less important depending if you know Christ or not. As Christians, we also make decisions by different standards. Sometimes the decisions we make are illogical because God said do it. God said do it. And we obey God because, right, he's our Lord and our master and we'd rather be obedient to God than what makes sense. So even our decisions are made by different standards and so different things are, just, are supposed to consume our minds. And what Paul does here is he lays out what ought to fill them. I love it because Paul lives up like in 30,000 feet a lot. It's really ethereal. It's like, that's good, Paul, but I don't know what you're saying or how to do that. But then he, he makes it real practical. And what he does here is he lays out what ought to fill or direct our thoughts and in turn affect our decisions, and also our thoughts determine our actions. So he's saying, he gives six things. He gives six types of things that we should think about, right? We just read them, verse 8. He says the six things that we should think about are things that are true, noble, right, pure, lovely, and admirable, Paul says we need to think about these things, or in the New King James, it would say meditate upon these things. 
the literal meaning there is these things we need to take into account or give them weight in our decisions. This idea here is, isn't that we only think about these things, right? We have responsibilities, we have jobs, we have families, we have stuff we have to think about. It doesn't say like only think about the things of God all the time, right? You, you wouldn't be able to function. But the point here is that we are supposed to look through the lens of our thoughts and our decisions by these things, meaning we think about our thoughts in, in is this true? Is this a true thing that I'm thinking about? Is this noble? Is it right? Is it pure? Is it lovely? Is it admirable? These are all things that we should ask ourselves when a thought comes in. A way to test our thoughts would be to run it by these things. And here's the deal. What we need to understand is what we choose to meditate on matters. Like what you consume, like what what you spend most of the time thinking about, or when you have free time and you have quiet time, or whenever it is for introverts, maybe more than others. Extroverts, you're like, I don't even have quiet time. I need more of it, though. But what are we meditating on? What are we dwelling upon? What consumes our thoughts? This is a real thing. We all have minds. We all have thoughts. We all have a lot of time to dwell on things and meditate. And what we choose to think about, and the way to think about things really does matter and really does have a lot of effect. So the first thing Paul says, we'll just work through them for a second, is that we need to meditate or think about things that are true. So in, in, in one sense, it would be is, are we thinking about God? what's true about God or true about our identity in Christ? Because the most dangerous thing is dwelling on false beliefs of who God is and who you are in God. Because if you dwell on those, it will inform your living. So if you have a wrong perception or a wrong idea, a false idea of who God is and who you are in God, your identity, it will mess with everything. False beliefs about God or yourself will inform your understanding and your foundation. And so I believe that Paul starts out here because it's a warning. Like, hey, be careful to believe false things or dwell on false things about you and God and your relationship and his character. And if you've been with the church or you've been around a church or if you know someone, there's many people that aren't going to church anymore because something's happened, whether it's with leadership or with community or something happened, and it's, it's informed actually who God is. How the church has functioned has now misrepresented God's character. And all of a sudden people aren't in church anymore because we kind of mistakenly mess up God in the church. And it's really easy to think wrongly about who God is. What's his intent for us? Why does he do the things he does? Why, why does and doesn't he answer prayer? Like there's so many things that we can think about God. And if we are not thinking true things about him, correctly, about who God is and our identity, it is going to inform and set us up for failure. 
can be the most damaging thing to dwell on false beliefs about who God is. And so what Paul is saying here is he says, when you are meditating and dwelling and thinking about your life, make sure that you aren't falsely believing something about God or who you are in Christ. Can anybody relate to that? I know I can. Nextly, Paul talks about, hey, dwell or meditate on what is noble. This idea here actually is brought up a lot in the pastoral letters to Timothy and Titus um, many times. And it's mostly concerning character. Like Paul is speaking to these young Christians, these young believers, these pastors in training, so to speak. And he's communicating that their character should be noble or in other words, honoring. But this is the only time outside of the pastoral epistles that Paul brings this idea that our thoughts are supposed to be noble. Our thoughts are supposed to be noble. And so in other words, the way that we think should be honoring or God-honoring. And so if, if, if you can feel it already and you're thinking about yourself... I know for me, as I'm reading this, as I'm studying this this week, I'm immediately met with, oh, wow, so much of what I think about. If I was really to think about, is this honoring to God? Is this honoring to God? If it was all laid out on the table, is it honoring to the other person that I'm thinking about? Because a lot of times, right, in our mind, we're thinking about somehow someone harmed us or hurt us or did something wrong or didn't include you in that meeting at work, whatever it is. And we start thinking things about them. And so what Paul is saying here is, are our thoughts honoring to God and honoring to others? Again, specifically when thinking of others, a good test would be asking ourselves, is this honoring? Am I building them up or am I tearing them down with my thoughts? Would God be honored by what I'm doing or not? It's a really hard but good challenge that, 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 that our text is bringing up today. So not only are we believing true things, is, are we walking in truth in our thoughts, but also are our thoughts noble or honoring towards God or one another? And Paul keeps moving on. He says, then he says we should dwell on what is right or what is righteous. And just by God's nature, he, he is righteous uh, and he loves righteousness in his people. Right? Psalm, Psalm 11, 7 says, For the Lord is righteous, he loves righteousness. The upright will behold his face. And so we, as God's people, sons and daughters, are to be righteous and holy as he is righteous and holy. And that includes our thoughts. I know it's getting real real because you're like, oh gosh. And this is the point. Don't, don't, don't wallow in it. Don't be condemned by, right, by this. But, but receive it as our heavenly father and we're his kids. And he's like, okay, here's what, here's what I want you to be like. And so listen up. I love those who I discipline. That's our father. He does it out of love. But the question that we should ask is, do we dwell and plan righteous things or do we dwell and plan evil? Because again, it's such a weird thing, but our mind is such a secret place, right? And a lot of it, we can keep to ourselves. No one knows about it. No one knows what we're thinking. And so it's really dangerous. And so it's so important that we ask ourselves these questions. 
Is this the way that God would think about this situation or this person? Is it, line with his, is it in line with his character or am I not thinking righteously? Then Paul continues to dig deep. And he says that our thoughts and our mind should be filled with things that are pure. The general idea here is what you think. It's one of innocence with a special sense of chastity. And so when he's saying purity of thought, it's in the idea of sexual purity. It's not just a thing now that pornography is rampant. Sexual immorality was like a big thing in culture and in the church, and that's a lot of what like First and Second Corinthians is about, Paul confronting sexual immorality in the church. And here's, I know, this is like so uncomfortable right now. But here's the deal. Like, pornography is killing our society. It's killing it. It's killing the church. It's killing Christians in the church. We're not immune to this at all. Like, here's the deal. Lustful thoughts lead to lustful actions, and they're consuming our society. You guys have heard the facts. If you haven't, they're They're horrible of how, how much we struggle on a whole with this, how much money is spent on it. You guys know the struggles, and you've either seen firsthand or experienced yourself the damage that started with a thought. It's, a, it's, it's one thought, or it's a partial thought, or it's a thought of a thought that all of a sudden started with that and all of a sudden wrecked your life and your marriage forever. You guys, it's, just, it's the slipperiest slope we have out there, right? And so when it comes to purity of thought, we need the power of the Holy Spirit to break the bondage and pattern that this may be in our lives. I've, I've met and talked over the years as a pastor with too many people that can't get out of it, can't seem to like be free of it, can't seem to stop. And it's, it's real bondage. And, and I would say it's like one of the, it feels like the, the biggest stronghold that the devil in the flesh has upon the church is, 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 is lustful thoughts. It starts there, at least. But Paul's charge, God's charge, is that we were not meant to dwell upon those things. And there's real damage that is done when we do. And so God's call for us is to purity. God's call for us is to purity of thought and mind. But then he brings it, brings it close to the Lord's heart, and he says, not only should your thoughts be pure, but you should dwell on things that are lovely. Things that are lovely. And, you know, God is love. God is perfect love. And in 1 Corinthians 13, we get a description of, of what love is. Right? You guys know this. Maybe say it at weddings or whatever it is. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. It always perseveres. So the question would be is, does that describe our thoughts? Do we dwell on these things? Are our thoughts patient ones? Are they kind ones? 
Or are our thoughts envious and boasting in ourselves? Are they proud thoughts or are they humble thoughts? You get the idea. Do they honor others? Do they dishonor others? Are they self-seeking or are they others-seeking? You guys get what I'm talking about? This is the call of God for our lives. This is what our minds are to be filled like. These are how the decisions of our lives are to be made. These are the type of things that we're to meditate on. And Paul ends his little list here with, we should dwell on things that are admirable. Admirable being, you know, something worthy to look up to or to strive for. So like comparatively through others, you stand out. You're admirable because you, right, in any situation, the reason why something or someone is admirable, it's worthy of notice. It's worthy out of the crowd, out of the others to take note of, and there's honor given to something that's admirable, something you want to strive for. And so... If our thoughts were exposed, no secret anymore, this is, this is scary, right? Would we look at our thoughts, would we look at our thoughts and say, yeah, these are admirable ones. These are ones that people want to strive to have on their own or to be, no, 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 you don't, this, don't look at me. You don't want these. This is, this is like the hard, loving truth that Paul is trying to speak into here in the church in Philippi, and I believe that God is wanting us to assess today, that we as God's people, those of us that are Christians in here, are called to a different standard, a different way of life, a different mindset. And Paul knows that maybe we won't remember this list, so he says, okay, if you didn't get those six, he says, dwell on Anything that is excellent or praiseworthy. He sums up the list with a blanket statement to help direct where our thoughts should be. Where should our thoughts be? Are our thoughts praiseworthy? Would they honor God? Would they glorify God? Would they speak highly of God? And the thing is that things that are excellent or praiseworthy are to be pondered and planned, and the results will be, a benef- will be beneficial for life and for action. And Paul connects the two right now. So verse 8, he, he, does, he talks a lot about the mind, talks a lot about our thoughts, what they're supposed to be like. But then he connects those thoughts to actions. Verse 9, look what he does. He says, okay, whatever you've learned or received or heard from me, which he just said it, put it into practice. Look at that. Paul's teachings and example. He says, learn from me. Hear what I'm saying and do it. And it's because Paul knows the power of our thoughts. Because the truth is, our thoughts are the seed to our emotions and in turn develops our actions. It all starts here. Then it affects how we feel It affects what we think and then what we feel, and then all of a sudden we start acting what started with a thought. The best example I could think of like this is how you get to bitterness. How does bitterness start? Bitterness starts with just a little bit of anger, a little bit of frustration, someone in your life, spouse, boss, best friend, they do something. They do something to hurt you. They left you out. They offended you. They embarrassed you. Whatever it is, you're frustrated, angry, hurt, whatever it is. Started there. 
If that's not dealt with, what will happen? It will only grow bigger and stronger. And you guys know the nights I'm talking about where you cannot sleep because your little seed of anger has now turned into like some real fierce bitterness. You don't want to see that person. You want to hurt that person, whatever it is. Maybe my thoughts are worse than yours. I don't know. (laughs) But you've all been there. Revenge, bitterness. And what happens is, is when anger or frustration turns into bitterness over time, what happens is, is you act on it. What do you do? Well, the list is endless of the mean, cruel, hurtful, wrong things that you can do to a human. But it started with a little thought. And Paul's whole purpose in saying is that we need to be careful of what we dwell and meditate and think upon because it will very much inform our actions. Whether or not we are living with a renewed, God-honoring mind affects everything. And our life will look entirely different. (coughs) And what Paul is saying here is that we need to set our mind, (coughs) excuse me, Terry Sharman, thank you. We need to set our mind on such things, he says, and having set our minds on them, we need a plan to act accordingly. It comes in step. And so Paul here is calling us to action. He's not just saying, hear me, isn't it good? Isn't that a good sermon? Isn't that a good letter I wrote? He's saying, no, do it. It's so important that we take hold of God's word We take it to heart and allow it to change us and make adjustments. What Paul's doing here is he isn't just trying to, like, make better Christians. It may sound like that, but you have to remember the end of verse 8, or is it verse 9, whatever I just read. Look at this. Philippians 4, 9. Whatever you've learned or received or heard in me, put it into practice. And so how does he end it? And the God of peace will be with you. He's not just saying, do this for doing its sake, but also he wants us to experience more of God. He's saying, you do this, you get more of God. The peace that I talked about last week, the peace that surpasses all understanding, not only will you experience, you have the peace of God, but the God of peace will be near to you when we do these things. This is what he's saying. You want the peace of God? The God of peace will be with you when you set your mind on these things. And we will experience the presence and the power and the peace of God when you live in this way. And so it's not just Paul's word of like, think better thoughts. It's good for you. Like, you shouldn't do that. But he's like, you want more of God? You want the peace of God? You want the God of peace? It starts with our mind. The battle is in our mind. That's what Paul is saying. And if you're even slightly like me, you will be extremely challenged and convicted by Paul's list. And even be like, I just, I feel like I'm way down the list. I don't have any of that. Well, join the club. And for me, I have never felt like I've needed more of a renewal of mine. But then I remember Romans 12, 2. We're all in need of it. We're all in need of transformation by the renewal of our mind. 
Now, here's the deal. It's really easy to justify what's in our mind. As long, right, as long as it keeps from getting out, I can think what I think because no one knows. But here's the deal. That's just, that's just, that's just wrong. God cares about our thoughts because they inform our being and our direction and our decision and our actions. And the first step is that we need to come to the place that admits that we're falling short and we need to change and we need to come and ask God for help. We need to come and ask God for help. God, I'm messed up, I'm warped, I'm irrational, I'm sinful, I'm selfish. I got none of this. Well, let's come to God for help and ask him by the power of the Spirit to transform us. But also, you have to understand that along with the Holy Spirit, we actually participate in growing more God-honoring thoughts and actions. It is indeed a work of the Spirit, don't get me wrong, I've talked about that. But we are a part of the growth as well. We partner with the Holy Spirit to see God make us more like him. This is the idea of sanctification. Once you're saved, sanctification is the process of becoming like God. Wayne Grudem, Bible scholar, this is his definition of sanctification, growing in the likeness of God. He says, sanctification is a progressive work of God that man, that man, excuse me, a progressive work of God and man that makes us more and more free from sin and like Christ in our actual lives. So when it comes to our thoughts and our minds, it's both prayer and dependency upon the Spirit, but it's also self-awareness, trying to deny the flesh, casting our thoughts upon Christ. So it's seeking and asking God, but it's also participating by taking every thought captive to Christ. 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5, 3 through 5 excuse me, brings up this idea. It says, for though we walk in the flesh, we don't war according to the flesh. Our weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing being raised up against the knowledge of God, and we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. We, we have a part in this. Don't get me wrong, by the power of the Holy Spirit, he's changing us, and we have the power to do something because it's him, but we have a part of it. So when those thoughts come in that are not God-honoring, that are not true, that are not admirable, that are not lovely or in line with God's character, we do need to ask, God, help me, but also we need to go, okay, I'm aware that thought's not of the Lord. I need to take that captive, and I need to lay it at God's feet. I need to ask for prayer. I need to call my buddy and ask for accountability. Whatever it is, we need to take that thought. We need to stop it before it runs amok. You get what I'm saying? You guys got me? And I truly believe that God can and will and has the ability to break habitual thought patterns that don't glorify him. If we didn't believe that, then... Then I don't know what we can believe. If God doesn't have the power to change us, that's not the gospel. That is the heart of the gospel, that God has the power to give us freedom from sinful, selfish, and destructive thoughts. And I believe that God wants to do that here today. Like, I believe that today, like during worship, I want to challenge you with something. If you're comfortable with this, 
I want this to be a time where the body ministers to the body. And again, I know for some visitors, you're like, I'm out. I'm not forcing you to do this. But I want you guys to be encouraged to do this more as a church. Yes, we have prayer team. And yes, they're awesome. And you can totally go to them at any time and pray. But also, you can pray with the person next to you. Pray with your friend. You can go across the room and pray with someone. It doesn't have to be one person over there. I would love if during worship, we would actually be honest with ourselves and say, you know what, God? Yeah, I've fallen short, but I need you. I want more of you. I need help to do it. Transform me. You can do that just in your seats, but there is power when you confess that with someone to be healed and set free from sin. I believe that the power of the Holy Spirit can transform and renew our mind, and I believe God wants to do that today. And so, guys, don't be burdened or condemned or feel sorry right now. I mean, mm, no, not that not, not feel sorry. I don't mean that. There should be a genuine, that's only going to, you have to be sorry to be repentant. Don't get me wrong. You have to know that you've fallen short and you're in need of Jesus. But again, don't wallow in that. Don't be condemned. Don't feel like, yeah, this is a bunch of rules. Hear this as your heavenly father coming before you and he loves you so much that he doesn't want you to sit in your sin. He doesn't want you to get hurt anymore. He doesn't want you to damage yourself or your marriage or other people around you. He wants to live into all that he's created you to be. And it starts with our mind. So please get prayer. Please don't let it go on. Come to Christ and receive his mercy and grace and forgiveness and power to live with a mindset in the mind of Christ. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you, Lord, that we can come before you to receive strength and help for this. That it's not up to us to change us. We, we, we're, we're part of it. We participate. But it's you who do the work. It's you ultimately that can rewire us and clean us up and cleanse us. And God, you're the only one that can truly change our thoughts. You can renew them and transform them. God, we want to be a people that honor you that we dwell on things that are lovely and pure, that are admirable and noble and true. God, I pray that you would do that in us, that we would be your people, you would be our God, and that we would walk in that practically. So God, help us to be aware. Help us to, 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 to take thoughts captive. Help us to grow in prayer. Help us to grow in vulnerability being open with one another, sharing our struggles to receive help, to receive prayer, to receive healing and freedom. Would you do that now? We want to worship you because you're worthy.